0: Is it, and if not, I can read the scripture first, if that's, uh, okay, there it is. So I'll just read this. It says, We believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time on, only known to God, known only to God, demands constant expectancy, and as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. We don't have the slide up here today for Scripture, but uh, this morning we're going to be in First Thessalonians 5 regarding the return of Christ. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you can just keep it in 1 Thessalonians 5 this morning. Uh, we'll be coming back to it a few different times, but uh, let, me, let me read 1 through 14, and if you guys don't mind standing for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 14. Now, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant, woman, pregnant woman's labor begins, pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. You can have a seat. Let's pray. Lord, we do come before you this morning. Uh, We're grateful for a chance to be together as your people on this special day, the Lord's day. Uh, Lord, may we worship you uh, this morning. God, all of us are coming in with different burdens, different cares, different joys, different excitements. All of us are coming in in different places this morning, but regardless of where we're coming, all of us need each other. All of us need to know the hope of the gospel. All of us need to know the story of you, Jesus. And this morning, we're looking at your return. And Jesus, that is so easy to forget that you're coming back at any moment. But Lord, what wonderful news that there will be a time soon when the pain, suffering, sin, and death of this world will be no more, where you're going to wrap that up. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would quicken our hearts and minds to not be naive or dull to the fact that you are returning. Uh, This isn't all there is, and God, we're thankful for that. So this morning, may your word speak to us, may it comfort us, may it challenge us, may it convict us. Uh, Lord, we submit to you and to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I have a question for us, and that is, do any of us ever feel like we can get lost in the weeds in life? and miss the point of what's going on around us, get lost in the weeds. Maybe if you're a parent, uh, the, the exhaustion of picking up messes, especially at dinnertime, spilt milk, the exhaustion of listening to the same Frozen album over and over and over and over again. Yep. the exhaustion of teaching children how to share their toys and not to try to hoard everything in the playroom. And in the midst of of getting caught into all of those things that are tiring and frustrating, you can very easily, at the end of the day, forget what you're engaged in, forget what you're doing, forget the point, which is that we're in the process of having this privilege of raising these human beings to know and to follow God the rest of their life. What a privilege. But how easy it is to forget the point and get lost in the weeds. Or or maybe for you it's the boredom of long meetings at work where you'd rather be anywhere else. Or the tedious task that your supervisor has asked you to do that you don't feel like has a, a real purpose or the personality of your coworker or your boss that just irks you all day long. And if you're honest, you can get lost in that. You can forget what you're doing, what's the purpose of what you're doing, which actually is a significant purpose. You're providing for your family. You're providing for their future. You're providing for college. You're providing for your own retirement really, really important things. But it's so easy to get lost in the weeds at work. Or maybe it's church. Maybe you can get lost in the weeds at church and you can get caught up in spending your time critiquing the worship set. It was too long. Or it wasn't long enough. Or the songs were too peppy or too somber, or the sermon too long, especially when kids are in the service, or the words are too sophisticated, or the words are not sophisticated enough. But we're forgetting why we're here. We're here to be together as a people of God and worship Him, pour out our offering of our sacrifice life to Him. We're here for the sake of of knowing and glorifying and praising Jesus for what He's done and who He is. And I think when it comes to the return of Christ, I think we can get caught in the weeds as well and miss the point. So, so focused in on when it will happen, uh, how it will happen The nuances of predicting what's going on politically, geopolitically, that we get so caught up in when and how that that I think we can miss the point of his return. And this morning, my hope is that we're going to leave the weeds behind as it relates to Christ's return and really hone in on the point of his return. And as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 1 through 14, We see a really interesting cause and effect in those verses. So the cause, the reality of what's going to happen that we see, especially in the first verses, 1 through 9, is what? What do we see? We see that Jesus is coming back. The author is clear about that, that there's no questioning this. He's saying the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief, He's not saying it might come, maybe it'll come. It's kind of unclear if he's going to come. The author states very clearly, Jesus is coming back. The king is returning. In fact, the writers of the New Testament, as you start to read through this lens of Christ's return, what becomes clear, and keep in mind, they're only writing 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus' ascension, Most of the writers of the New Testament, they actually, the way they write, they assumed he was going to come back any day, in their time. So we think, it was only 30, 40 years after his ascension, they were expectant that he was going to return, so how much more so us, right? If they thought he was coming back any moment, and they would encourage their writers with this, he's coming back soon, how much more so us 2,000 years later, so, what we see is the cause is that he is returning. That's what's clearly stated. And then what we see is there's an effect to that in verses 10 through 14. Namely, because he is returning at any moment, God wants our lives to change. So, because he's returning at any moment, God wants our lives to change. That's the point. Life change. Life change is the point of his return. There's others, but this morning, that's the one we're really honing in on, on this scripture, life change for us and what that means for us. And we're going to look at three different areas where Jesus' return, his imminent return, can have an effect on our lives in significant ways, in three areas that are critically important for our day-to-day lives. It helps us change to live godly lives, that's the first one. It helps us engage in sacrificial service, is the second one, and to energetically live out His mission, is the third. And if you remember, those are the three that we're honed in on in our statement of faith. And actually, what we're going to see is living godly lives, engaging in sacrificial service, and energetically living out His mission are all connected. You're going to see they're like a links in a chain. And I think that's intentional, Now, before we jump into those three, I think it's important to note that when we discuss the return of Christ, um, I recognize that this can be kind of loaded for some of us uh, or confusing for some of us. I think most of us would fall in that camp. Um, So for some of us where it's a little bit loaded and there's a lot to it, um, I think that some of us may have been part of churches or schools or seminaries um, where Christ's return and the view of that was heavily focused on, and every other view was judged and critiqued. And you know, our way or the highway was kind of the mentality. And there, we're not going to go into these, you can look these up on your own, but there are really three main views of the return of Christ there's premillennial post-millennial, and amillennial. Those are the, the big three. And, and some of us have come from backgrounds where one of those was really focused on. Um, and anyone else was silly and, you know, wrong and shouldn't be listened to, and it's, this is the only way to believe, and if you don't, you're in trouble. And then for some of us, even those words, pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, they're kind of like, what are we talking about? Why are those words used? Those are so confusing. Just even the names. Like, let's can we update that language a little bit to like where we are now? Um, people don't use the word millennial anymore unless they're talking about like the gen- the, the millennials, the generation. Um, so, I think for us, if we're if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in defining these terms and honing in on one that we can miss the point. And so, it's interesting about our denomination. Is they've chosen not to choose one of those to focus on. That you have to believe this is when Christ is returning, and this is how Christ is returning. What you see is within our denomination, you, it's you can believe what you want about when he's returning and how he's returning. Because people have biblical arguments for all of these views. Rather, what our denominations focused on is He is returning. That's unquestionable. And all three of those views would agree with that. He is returning. And because he's returning, something matters, which is mainly that our lives would change as a result of that. And so really what we're trying to focus on here is what what is that life change? And so I'm grateful that our denomination doesn't hone in on one, but rather says, okay, we can all agree across the aisle that all of us in this room may have different views on this. But all of us would agree on one thing. He is returning, and that should change everything about our lives. So the first one I want us to look at is this idea of godly living. How does his return help us live in a godly way as men and women? How does his return help us live in a godly way? Verse 5 gives us some hints about that. Paul writes, For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. And then in verse 8, But let us who live in the light be clear-headed. So, there's something connected to Jesus' return in this idea of light and darkness that Paul is explaining here. And what he wants us to know is that as the imminent Christ is returning, we need to know and believe that we are children of light if we have Christ as our Lord and Savior and we've submitted to him and turned from our sin. Paul's saying, Remember, as Christ is returning any moment, that you are children of light, you are not children of darkness. And why is that important? As we're waiting for Jesus to return as children of light, as the people of God, as those born again, the assumption there is that we are going to be surrounded, infiltrated by darkness. That's the assumption. And I want to ask us a question. Has that changed since this was written 2,000 years ago? The thing I love most, one of the things I love most about the Bible is it's timeless. The truths that it's talking about 2,000 years ago, they're still true today. So as we think about turning on the news, turning on our social media, do we see darkness surrounding us and infiltrating us and our lives and our world? I think we all do. And there's something that Paul's getting at here that darkness promises. There's something going on here that darkness and light are in conflict with. And what darkness is promising us is satisfaction. Darkness is fundamentally promising you and I that it can satisfy us. And that in this, this world, the, the, the trick of darkness is to convince us that this world is all there is. If you look at media, if you look at advertisements, the message that runs through all of it is this life is all there is, and so in this life you have to wring out as much satisfaction for yourself as you possibly can. You have limited time to actually engage with this satisfaction and limited opportunities. As children of light, we know we can actually find a better satisfaction than what the world, what this darkness is promising us. And what are, what are some of these darkness temptations? What are some of these things that in our day actually tempt us to commit ourselves to? I think in our context, um, people's approval is a big one. Um, being significant online and in our own lives, having the newest things, having the most important things, being the most significant. Um, I think in our day, uh, we try to wring out as much approval from others as we can, as much likes from others as we can, thinking that ultimately that is what's going to satisfy us. Um, I think if you talk to enough people, you know that that is a never-ending journey. It never ends. It, It never quite scratches that itch of satisfaction that we need. I think another one right now is sexual expression. Um, Sexuality is mine, and, and I can do with it what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want. And the temptation is that that is the way to find true, lasting satisfaction in this world. I think another one in our context is selfishness. So, Store up for yourself comfort, security, possessions, nice things. Don't care about those around you that don't have those things. Um, so if there are poor around you or the immigrant around us, don't, don't worry about them. They're, they'll be okay. They'll be taken care of. You don't need to sacrifice yourself for their sake. But as children of light, we know that's not true. The Bible calls us to engage. The other darkness, temptation, specific to us, I see, is the technology and entertainment revolution that's going on in our culture. Uh, If you you watch this, if you spend hours on this, that is what is going to satisfy you. Give your life meaning, give your life contentment. But we all know after we watch these things for hours, how do we feel? A lot worse than before we started, right? Always. So Christ's return helps us remember, in the midst of all these temptations that we face of darkness in our lives as children of light, that very, very soon there is a far better satisfaction coming. The only way to not engage, in my opinion, with temptations of darkness is by replacing it with a better satisfaction. I don't think it works to just tell someone, don't do that, knock it off. Don't engage with that. How how well does that work for us in general? When we say to ourselves or to someone else, don't eat that ice cream at night. It's not good for you. Just stop it. Or Don't go shopping and spend all that money you don't have. Just knock it off. Just stop. Like Honestly, how well does that work when we try to muster up enough willpower to not engage in those activities? Because fundamentally, there is some satisfaction to those temptations of darkness, or else they wouldn't be temptations. My whole point is just they don't last. They're not permanent. And that's the problem, is they have to continue to build on each other, so we do it more and more and more until it's an addiction. No satisfactions have to be replaced and so what we need is a greater satisfaction we need something greater to put our hope into greater to look forward to greater to put our expectation in and that's what christ's return is bringing to children of light his return is bringing the everlasting kingdom of god into the world into our lives where we're going to be able to worship Him and know Him without sin, without death, without pain, without loss, without sadness, for all eternity, living in the presence of God. And as we wait for that glorious day, we have, although it's, as Paul writes, it's a a bit of a veil in this current world, we also have the presence of God now, not just then. So even as we're waiting and saying no to those temptations because we're waiting for His return where fullness of joy, fullness of satisfaction will be ours forever. Even in the midst of waiting now, we have His presence. We have His relationship. We have His Holy Spirit in us bringing us satisfaction, bringing us joy. So godly living, return of Christ, I think the more that we can remember that He is returning Bringing these joys helps us in the meantime realize how short our lives are and how these temptations ultimately are not going to last. Moving on to the second one, I think the more that sacrificial service, the more that we live godly lives saying no to the dark spiritual temptations of the world around us and trying to wring out as much satisfaction for ourselves as we can, what I've noticed is the more I do that or people do that, and I have seasons where it's good and seasons where it's not, the more that we do that, I've noticed the more that we start to put our eyes off ourself onto other people. So the less addicted we are to this world, the more we can start seeing those around us. Because we're not looking to this world and all its promises to, to fill us. We're actually full of christ and so we're able to start looking around at those around us and opportunities around us to be a blessing to other people not just getting for ourselves from this world and what do we see in verse 14 regarding that brothers and sisters we urge you to warn those who are lazy encourage those who are timid Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. So it's this idea that the reality of Christ's return should start motivating us, can start motivating us to look away from this world and all the pleasures that it promises because we don't need to be filled by that stuff anymore to take our eyes off ourselves and off this world onto other people. That's where he's saying encourage those who are not engaging at all encourage them, urge them to invest their lives in other people and other causes that are for the good of those around them, for the good of the world. Now notice it doesn't say to do it with guilt and manipulation. It says to do it with tenderness, to be patient. So you can't motivate people to sacrificial service or caring for other people by simply guilting them or manipulating them to do so. Or saying as a good Christian, you should be Investing your lives in the poor or the marginalized. Of course, that's the goal, but, but we don't do that by simply guilting someone in, into, into that activity. No, we, we encourage one another with gentleness and kindness because all of us need that encouragement. All of us are prone to go back into the world and be satisfied by darkness. All of us are prone to that. And what the whole point of godly living is, we start getting away from that and focusing on others. It's a beautiful thing in our own lives and to see others when this process starts to happen. And I think it's the mark of Christian maturity in many ways is when you start to see others. I've noticed that with new Christians. I work in college ministry. And when, when people become Christians, one of the first things that happens, and again, it ebbs and flows, but one of the first things I notice is they start talking a lot about other people. It's amazing to watch. It's beautiful to watch. And they'll say that too. When I was in college, all I cared about was partying, satisfying myself, darkness of the world. But now, like, I want to talk about other people. I want to start learning about other people. I want to start knowing how I can invest my life in, in other people. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And honestly, I think we're a lot happier when we live that way. When we start looking at other people and asking the simple question... How can I be a blessing and an encouragement, knowing that with Christ's return being so imminent, I might not have a lot more time to do this? I don't know if he's coming back today. He could come back today. He could come back tomorrow. I want my last day to be spent investing in other people, not in satisfying myself on Netflix. At least that's my desire. I think uh, regarding this, Dover presents a lot of cool opportunities. Um, I've noticed when I, when I drive through Dover, there's a lot of times there's people on the corners asking for food or help. Um, I think that's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I, I always wonder what would it look like if our church went out of our way to see those people first. That's the first step, right? You gotta see them. You gotta look at them. Have a practice of, of non-perishable items in your car all the time. Or if you're on the way to the grocery store, buy extra groceries and on your way home, stop. Or stop by a, a quick get a quick sub and walk across the street and hand it to them and say, Something like, because I know a generous God, I'm, I want to give you this. Because he's generous with me, I want to be generous with you. Um, another, another practice, this is something I'm going to challenge myself for, is uh, when you're in the grocery line at Hannaford or uh, Market Basket, what would it look like to, to see the person in front of you and pay for their groceries on their way out. So you would be behind them, they're in front of you, you'd have to kinda awkwardly sneak up a little bit to the front, but pay for their groceries. And then they'll look at you, and the bagger and the checkout person will look at you, and they'll all stare. What are you doing? And that's an opportunity to say, well, I have a generous God and I want to be generous with you. These are ideas of ways that as Christians we can start looking at other people and blessing them in certain ways. The last one, and then we'll close, is energetic mission. I think the more we live godly lives, turn from spiritual darkness that promises satisfaction but doesn't deliver, knowing that Christ is returning Bringing unending satisfaction into our lives. We can wait. We can say no. We have a much greater hope coming any moment. That leads us into stop looking at ourselves in this world and start looking to other people, sacrificing ourselves for them. I think that then leads to the third chain, which is we don't just start caring about their physical needs, which is really important, but we actually really start caring now about their spiritual needs, where they're going to spend eternity. And that's where this idea of energetic mission comes in. I think it's a progression. And you see it in verse 9. What's our hope? What's our salvation? Well, Paul makes it so clear. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. All of us deserve God's anger for our sin. That's just so clear to me. But God chose, you see that? He chose not to pour out His anger on us, but to what? to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. He had compassion on humanity. And so we now have an opportunity with those around us, whether it's our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, to not just take care of their physical needs, which we should do, and it's a joy to do that, but we have opportunities to start engaging with them on even deeper things. Not just food and money, but now salvation, eternity, heaven, hell. These things that are hard to talk about, but they're true. Knowing that Jesus is returning any moment, we have a window of time. We just, we just do. All of us have a window of time where we can share this good news with others around us. The good news that Jesus... Not only came to the world and is returning, but when he was here, he willingly chose to take on the sin of humanity into his body, die for that, all the bad we've ever done or will do, take the punishment that we deserved, take the judgment we deserved. It killed him, and three days later he rose from the dead, defeating our sin, defeating our death. He is Lord. He is Master. He is Messiah. He is Savior. He is the Anointed One. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and He's coming back to restore the kingdom fully forever. That's an incredible message that we get the privilege of sharing with those around us. I know for a lot of us, we don't, maybe we don't know the specific words, and so it's overwhelming to figure out how do we How do we say it the right way? How do we do this the right way? Um, I would say that's something great to talk with community groups about because all of us can help one another learn how do we talk about this gospel with those around us? Don't try to just do it yourself. Get others from this church involved in this process to help you figure out how do I say it the right way? What, What ideas should I talk about with my neighbor, with my coworker, with my family? So I would say this week, pray for one person this summer to share the message of the cross and resurrection with in your circle of influence. One person this summer. And if you're here and you feel like you want to give your life to Jesus, knowing that he's coming back, we will have people uh, praying here um, who could pray with you if you really want to give Jesus the throne of your life, if you want him to be your Lord and Savior and you haven't done that yet in your life. Uh, We'll have people over here. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and Um, Thank you for this opportunity to uh, talk about your return and the effect it can have on our lives. Jesus, thank you that this life and the pain of this life um, will soon be forever gone. Um, In the meantime, Lord, help us to worship you, to have joy in you, to delight in you, to not get pulled into the satisfaction of the darkness of the world, Um, but to to, to put our anchor, our hope in the fact that you, who are our ultimate satisfaction, are returning soon and are going to restore things forever. Uh, May that motivate us to to serving others, to loving others, to having our eyes off this world and onto other people. And may that overflow to us wanting to see people come to know you as Lord and Savior. Um, So use us, Lord, this week, this summer, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand-